when we need it. Um, and, if, and if we have scheduled a case for oral argument, you can rest assured we think that that will assist us in the resolution of the case. Um, so uh, that's, that's what we're here for. Um, please do not treat the red light as aspirational this morning. <laughs> when it shines, if you're answering a question from the court, um, feel free to finish your answer, but do respect the court's time. Uh, so we'll begin with Stout uh, versus the Jefferson County Board of Education. Um, Mr. Clement, will you please come and speak to us? Good morning. Good morning. May it please the court. I'm UW Clement of Birmingham, one of the counsel for the Stout plaintiffs. I will argue unitary status and uh, racial motivation, and co-counsel Monique Lynn Luce of the Legal Defense Fund will discuss the thwarting of the Jefferson County desegregation plan if Gardendale uh, withdraws. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna argue for five minutes, and she'll take five, and we'll reserve uh, five minutes for rebuttal. In the outset, we wanna make it clear that we deeply appreciate the uh, hard work and dedication of the district judge in this case. Under her direction and guidance, we expect to submit a proposed consent decree, final consent decree, for her approval by August of next year. With respect to the unitary status argument of Gardendale, I guess what I had a hard time understanding, I, I, I read the district court's orders and, and, and the big order, the first order uh, that I read, I was having no difficulty following until I got to the end. Uh, and, and then I wondered what the heck happened. Uh, well, <laughs> so did I, had we, no, <laughs> I had no, <laughs> I had no trouble following this order and understanding the order. And then all of a sudden the district court granted something that it, from, from what I can tell at least, no party asked for. Is that right? Uh, Yes, Your Honor, the first 173 of the 183 pages of the district court's opinion are all uh, uh, basically in our favor. It's only the last 10 that got us in trouble and brought us to this court. Uh, with respect to unitary status, everybody other than the Gardendale Council and that includes the Jefferson County Board of Education, the Justice Department, the Stout plaintiffs, and even the superintendent of the Gardendale school system all agree that unitary status has not been achieved. And the Supreme Court had the opportunity uh, well, five this, years after. This court has said that, right? Well, this court said it uh, in 1976, but it really didn't no, say no, 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 no. Since then, this court has said. Yes, yes, sir. Since this then, court has said that, that. Since then, this court has explained that that reference to unitary status does not mean that this case it has, that the, the school, county school system has achieved the unitary status that would mean that it's no longer 
um, in need of supervision of the federal court. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. Your Honor, Mr. Justice White once wrote that the Constitution <clears throat> cannot control racial prejudices, but neither can it tolerate them. Private biases may be outside the reach of the law, but the law cannot directly or indirectly give them effect. That was in the Palmer versus Thompson dissent and in the city of Claiborne, uh, Texas versus Claiborne Living Center. Um, the district court properly found that the Gardendale City Council acted for the purpose of effecting the desires of white citizens, that racial considerations were a motivating factor behind those desires, and the evidence clearly shows that members of the city council were aware of the motivations of the private citizens. Should we reach that issue? Well, actually, if, if, if we were to say, as I understand it, the district court made two findings that are subject to review for clear error. Yes, sir. One is that the Gardendale um, school uh, system had been motivated by discriminatory purpose. Two, that their motion to create a separate school system would impede um, the accomplishment of the desegregation of the Jefferson County schools. Uh, affirming on either ground would would be sufficient, wouldn't it? Do we need to reach the discriminatory purpose well, Your Honor, issue? In, in all candor, uh, it is not necessary to reach that issue because the, uh, the board clearly did not carry its burden of proof with respect to its uh, uh, right and, and the Stout case. And we could do it either way. We could find a discriminatory purpose, too, and that would be the end of the matter, wouldn't it? Yes, sir. That, that's, that's certainly true. And we, we simply want to point out that the, the Gardendale uh, uh, founding fathers invoked state action. And for them to, for the, the, the county, the uh, Gardendale board to say that we can't look at what they did and said is much like saying that uh, we can't look at the Federalist Papers to decide the meaning of the Constitution, because when they were adopted, mm -hmm. the, the Constitution had not been ratified. Mr. Clement, if, if we were not to reach the independent 14th Amendment violation issue, as the Chief Judge and you were discussing, as being not necessary, <clears throat> and then forward three or four years, the Gardendale came forward with another plan for splinter for separation, and a challenge was made to that, and in connection with review of that future plan, the district court judge was to rely on her finding of the independent 14th Amendment violation, in this case, for how she treated the next case. Would the legitimacy of the, would the question of the 14th Amendment violations in front of us today still be ripe for review on appeal in a later case? Well, if I made myself clear, uh, if 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 what you're suggesting is that Gardendale at some point after unitary status has been achieved by the Jefferson County School Board. No, uh, I'm, I'm well, whether whether after or before. 
regardless of whether unitary status has been achieved, let's assume three years from now unitary status hasn't been achieved and Gardendale comes with another plan. Yes, sir. And they come with another plan that's a little different and the district court judge says, listen, I taxed you with a violation of the 14th Amendment three years ago and I still have power to review your plan in the light of that violation. Yes, sir. I think and then if she did that and, and Gardendale said, and Gardendale didn't like the results of her order and appealed up here and said, listen, we now want you to review whether we were guilty of an independent 14th Amendment violation four or five years ago. Is that issue still alive if we don't reach it today? Uh, <clears throat> well, the, her finding would stand whether, uh, if you chose not to, re not to address it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, but what I'm concerned is whether or not it would be fair game for Gardendale, the town, three or four years from now, to come back and say to an appellate court, remember us from three years ago? Remember that record we made? Because as you know, Gardendale is now challenging whether or not there was clear error in the judge's finding of an independent violation. That record will still be extant four or five years from now. Yes, yes, sir, it will, it will be, okay. and at Gardendale couldn't make that argument. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Ms. Lynn-Luce? And if I didn't pronounce it correctly, please correct me. <coughs> May it please the court. Monique Lynn Luce for the plaintiff appellants, all black school children through their parents of Jefferson County. Um, as Judge Pryor noted before, there are two bases independent on which uh, the district court found um, that uh, found a violation of Gardendale with Gardendale separation. Um, I will discuss the second, which is the failure of Gardendale to reach its burden under clear and binding precedent uh, of right and its progeny. Can we um, follow up on what Judge Clevenger was asking? It, it, it would seem to me in that kind of um, hypothetical scenario, which the district court seemed to be you know, you. greatly concerned about, um, you know, something that um, is a remote and to me kind of speculative concern, but it would, I, I would think that if years down the road there were another attempt to create a separate school system that any evidence about what happened with respect to this motion to separate could be considered under Arlington Heights as part of kind of the mosaic of circumstantial evidence, but that Gardendale would also be able um, to, to explain years later, presumably, uh, why whatever happened before is not what is motivating them then. Uh, uh, and all of that would just be in the mix. And whatever finding a district court would make, and uh, assuming that this, uh, assuming that Jefferson County has achieved unitary status uh, at that point, if, if that's the circumstance, might not even be the same district judge. Uh, but but in, in that event, the district court would be able to evaluate it and make a find. It would have to be a new finding mm -hmm. about discriminatory purpose. Isn't that right? 
I believe I agree, uh, Your Honor. The, the, what we found um, and believe the court found uh, with the independent violation of the Constitution's 14th Amendment of intentional discrimination uh, is a finding that if this court allows to stand uh, would be something that would be relevant in any future uh, efforts by Gardendale to secede, of course. Relevant, but not determinative, Not right? determinative. No, it would have to be, if, if it's not adjudicated at this stage and affirmed at this stage, it would have to be dealt with at a later stage or could be uh, brought but up by either party. Even if it were adjudicated at this stage, right? Absolutely. The history it, of it still exists, particularly under Arlington rights, as the, as the court noted. Right. And, but it, and it, to, it would be relevant, but still not even determinative then. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, I believe that is correct. At that time, it would be uh, not determinative, um, but it would be, I think, extremely prejudicial to, to the oh, motivations would, oh, at that time. Oh, absolutely. It'd be um, highly relevant yes. <laughs> and prejudicial. Okay. I, knew, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think um, that because there are these two independent bases um, that the court uh, reached, um, that both of them are valid and it provides a basis uh, for enjoining Gardendale from, from operating a school district at this time. Um, the court uh, should reverse um, because according to binding president, the district court's order was an impermissible remedy to cure the district court's finding that Gardendale's secession would have an adverse impact on the desegregation well, of Jefferson the, County. Under the district court's rationale, it, it is, the district court would say, I think, and, and I think does explain, that the court would be entering a new separation order. In other words, not the plan that Gardendale proposed, which it found to be interfering with the implementation of desegregation. Isn't that right? Uh, Your Honor, if I understand your question correctly, um, you would, you're describing a, a new uh, Gardendale plan sometime in the future that would be implemented? Well, I think that's what the district court is saying. We will have a new plan, and that will not interfere with the implementation of the... The plan that the district court devised. Ah, correct. Yes. Okay, so the, the plan um, that the district court um, devised, as uh, Judge Pryor noted earlier, is not one uh, that any of the parties requested, and particularly we don't believe that the court had the authority to order such a remedy. Under right... Uh, the Supreme Court was very clear um, that if uh, if a school district uh, or separating school district um, may not be created, uh, if well, that's the as point here, on which the district court judge disagreed with you. She read the word "may" and "right" to give her some discretion. The uh, language in "right" is in the exercise of its remedial discretion, the, the district court may enjoin the separation plan from going forward. And we believe that the court misapprehended the law um, in that case. That we feel it's very clear under right that there are no options. We believe that neither this court uh, nor the district court has a choice uh, but to enjoin the secession of Gardendale School <coughs> does, District does because right, the does finding. Right, does right cover the circumstance in which you don't simply have a splinter group separating from a school system? You have an independent 14th Amendment violation in the in the in the motivation uh, I mean no. does does the does the violation of the Fourteenth Amendment in connection with the school plan afford the district court a broader range of discretionary remedies, and does right address that specific issue uh, in right, um, the issue is not addressed on the question of intentional discrimination that was not the basis, and in fact, what right says is that uh, you don 't have to 
It's not the purpose well, of the right separating. Well, right, we're saying even if there's a, a perfectly innocent motive, right. if there's an adverse effect on, then you can't do it. But what I'm trying to ask is whether or not this district court, I believe, felt that it had a kind of special form of authority to operate here because uh, she was going to not only cure the violation in her mind, but she was going to produce a plan that would have a minimized impact on the county. And she viewed her her situation as somewhat unique. I think that's clear from her opinion. Yes, Your Honor. So my question is whether or not Wright, whether it's really the shoe that fits the foot here. Um, I believe that Wright is definitely fits squarely here. Um, I think what what Your Honor is describing is a situation where in which somehow the finding of intentional discrimination provides more uh, leeway in determining an outcome. But we, f we feel uh, that the finding of intentional discrimination also bars uh, Gardendale from operating. Um, but that would be an issue of first impression, wouldn't it? I couldn't find any precedent anywhere where you had this circumstance of a separation plan where... Uh, it's remote in time from the original problem that was created, the county system, uh, and a district court is trying to balance in a discretionary fashion uh, the answer to both the independent violation question as well as the harm to the county's question. I would point the court to Lee versus Chambers County in um, 1994, which is a decision at the Middle District. Um, but in that situation, it's 1994, the original violation was found uh, in the 1960s, similar facts pattern to here. Uh, but there, the court found that the adverse impact was sufficient, and the facts align uh, much as they do here in this case, uh, that that was sufficient um, to enjoin uh, the school district from separating um, from the county. But just to close the circle on what I was saying, not sorry to interrupt you, I'm in, in my court, we unfortunately we're less polite than you all down are down here. <laughs> no worries. I just want to make sure I, I, uh, I answer your it, question. It, it seem, it you, seem, haven't, you, you haven't sat with enough of our panels. Judge <laughs> <Levinger>. <laughs> it seemed to me that the law of this circuit is really quite clear that in the event that a finding of fact is made and is supported, that there will be an adverse effect on the county, so to speak, here, and then there's no discretion. You have to reject the plan. So it seemed to me that this line of argument, discussion I was having with you, the circuit would have to make new law. That's exactly correct. To say this circumstance is different. That's exactly correct. Because this case fits so squarely uh, with both the law of the case in Stout, uh, with, with Wright, and with uh, all subsequent 11th Circuit precedent, if there's a finding, as there was here, that there would be an adverse impact, as the court said, there could only be one option. In Chambers... Uh, Hard to understand what the authority, where it would come from. I mean, if, if, if someone's come before the court to create a new school system and the district court finds that it doing that 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 the plan has a discriminatory purpose and alternatively uh, would impede the desegregation of the county school system i don't know what would empower the district court to fashion some kind of equitable relief that's a middle ground where, I don't believe where that does that no come room. from uh, we we could find no basis in it that the the court the, the law is so clear that once the sort of the decision has been made and the finding of adverse impact which is that's the end of the court's equitable sort of uh, authority and review uh, the court has, has to determine the adverse a impact. housekeeping question so the district court said that um, that the county and Gardendale could go ahead and start taking steps um, toward the creation of this um, new school system. Um, has that happened? What, what, what's 
what's happening uh, so it, what's to the extent that the record would tell us or anything else? Um, so what has occurred uh, is that the uh, Judge Heichel, the district court, stayed um, the portion of the order uh, regarding Gardendale's activities and moving towards a, a, a separate school system, but then uh, allowed uh, the important work that actually all of the, the parties, the United States, the plaintiffs, and the Jefferson County were pursuing earlier, which was uh-huh. actually fashioning a new desegregation plan that would move Jefferson County towards unitary status. So that process is moving forward, uh, and under the court's order, um, we should have a plan in place uh, by next August of September, August of 2018, that would then sort of show, um, you know, Jefferson County what are the remaining issues to reach to get to unitary status. Have a plan. When you say that. there will be a plan. You expect a plan to be presented by August of next year, but that's also, that's, it's not your expectation that the litigation would end in August, only that a a consent decree would be presented for the court's consideration, and if adopted, would take some time thereafter to implement. Absolutely. Under under binding Supreme Court precedent, that is the way in which a, a desegregation case is resolved, that a plan must be put in place to remove the vestiges of the prior system to the extent practicable. The parties are clear that there are some things, including Jefferson County, that they still have are non-compliant on and need to address. Um, and what is uh, frustrated that process has been uh, Gardendale secession and the prior secessions, uh, which the court found uh, that have created both uh, demographic financial and geographic um, disruptions that would actually allow Jefferson County to have a a moment in time um, that we could actually pause, evaluate what needs to be done to create a plan and move forward. But with the secessions, uh, that becomes really impossible to do. To to come back to your your argument in chief, you're sharing with Mr. Clemens, what in your view is the most significant data point for the adverse effect on the county's ability to, to become unitary? Absolutely. Um, Can you I think- just tell me the fact data points, whether it's the high school or the way in which the students are going to move? Um, I think uh, it's sort of three. There's three categories, and I'll give you the highlights of each one, if that works. Um, the first is uh, the demographic changes that the separation would create. Um, and those are um, that essentially Jefferson or Gardendale would be a white enclave uh, school system within a much more diverse, larger Jefferson County, um, that it would change the demographics of the entire Jefferson County. More um, white than it is now? Yes, it would, it, would be, it would be more white. Gardendale would be more white than Jefferson County by about 20%. Um, so it essentially carves out uh, a sort of a, a, a section of Jefferson County that has more white Isn't students. Isn't it already more white than Jefferson County? It absolutely is. But so how a, much more white is it going to be than not? So it'll, it'll be, if it takes just the students that are within it, um, it'll be right around 25%, which is about where it is now. But Jefferson County as a whole uh, becomes uh, more African-American, um, less white, um, and then it now creates uh, essentially a separate system. Of part of the problem is that the plan is so uncertain um, that it's hard to really say to it answer is. that question, isn't it? It is. And the other thing that what, what, what you do lose as a part of that demographic shift, uh, one is uh, you lose the opportunity for transfers and you lose the opportunity of using uh, the high school and other schools um, as uh, tools of integration or schools of desegregation, which is what the court found that the high school, because of its geographic location, because of the high quality state of the art programs, serves as uh, a desegregation tool um, because it brings students from around the area into this effectively integrated high school. 
but you lose the opportunities for any further desegregation uh, by the carving out of, of Gardendale. The court noted that it is, um, there is some uncertainty. Uh, however, uh, the certainty, though, is we can look at the impact of the prior separations, um, and we can see that the prior separations um, have had a detrimental impact um, on uh, the county, has had a significant impact in loss of I resources. I don't want to cut you too short, Sorry. but I think if you're going to refer, if you're, you're answering um, Judge Clevenger's question, so I think we need to move on to the no. data points and make sure we've wrapped Sorry. that up. Sorry, Your Honor. Um, the other point um, would be the, um, the message of inferiority. Um, right allows not just in looking at uh, demographic changes, but also looks at the timing and the message of the separation. Um, and here, the message of inferiority is clear. Um, black children are described as a bitter pill um, that, that Gardendale will be forced to, to swallow. There's no ambiguity in the meaning of that. Um, and, and any ambiguity, um, the court found on page 177 of its order, um, of the flyer that was used in the motivation of the, um, for the tax to allow the creation of Gardendale, uh, said the court found any arguable amb ambiguity in the flyer is resolved by the blatant public statements from separation organizers that we don't want to become what Centerpoint has become, which is an African-American community, uh, and we need to separate uh, to provide the control over the geographic composition of the student body. The statements made are clear. The timing of, of the, the message um, and, and the separation are clear. Uh, this school district was created to exclude uh, African-American students, and that message of inferiority, uh, regardless of whether it's two schools or 20 schools, will be clear. Okay, thank you. Thank um, you. Since you were answering a question from the court, we'll, you've saved your five minutes for rebuttal, but um, let's hear from Mr. McLeod. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. May it please the court, in Freeman versus Pitts, the Supreme Court said that local autonomy of school districts is a vital national tradition. There are two points I'd like to address today as to why it was wrong for the district court to obstruct Gardendale's effort to take part in that tradition. First, the finding as to a substantial adverse impact or impediment to the county's desegregation efforts, and second, the finding of racial motivation. As to the first, the lower court found, and this is explained in the supplemental opinion, only two adverse impacts on the county's desegregation. First, the transfer of roughly 600 students out of about 33,000 county student enrollment uh, from schools in Gardendale to schools elsewhere in the county. And second, the transfer of the high school itself. As to the first finding... The high school's a big factor, isn't it? It certainly is, Your Honor, and if it, I will address that one first if you would like. I, it, to me, it, it, it's probably your, your biggest problem on, on this point. Um, it, it seemed to me that the district court was entitled to find that that high school was playing a critical role in the desegregation effort of the county school system particularly as the, as the schools, that, that high school um, plays a role in vocational training that um, is designed to bring students from a larger um, portion of the county there. Uh, and, and, and as a result, um, 
you know, enhance the desegregation efforts. What do you say about that? Well, Your Honor, uh, you're correct that that was a central concern of the district court. There are two reasons why I think it was error for her to impose, for the court to impose the the price or the bounty on the high school and to address what you just raised first. Well, is there evidence to support that finding, that that, that it does play, that the high school plays that role? Well, uh, yes, Your Honor, the high school does, but the problem with that finding is it was a straw man for the district court to find that the transfer of Gardendale High School to the new system would be a loss somehow to the county's ongoing desegregation for several reasons. First of all, it is clear in the record, both from the separation plan, from the uh, transfer policy, and from Dr. Martin's superintendent's testimony, that there will continue to be desegregation transfers from the county into the city system, including the high school, and specifically that the career tech or vocational training, which Your Honor mentioned, and which was a central concern, I think, of the district court, will, under our plan, continue to be available to county students. Now, the district court took some issue with the idea that tuition would be charged, uh, but the Gardendale system is quite happy to not charge tuition if that is a lesser remedy that the district court would have been willing to uh, to consider instead of imposing well, a fee. A, are you sort of amending the plan in front of us? Uh, no, Your Honor. In fact, I'm arguing the other reason why it was error for the court to impose a partial injunction and a very large price tag on the county, and that is the tailoring the rule problem, under Brinkman. The problem, Mr. McLeod, is that I think Judge Clevenger's question raises is that it's it's incumbent on your client to come with the motion to and and it's your burden to explain why the creation of that school system won't impede desegregation and and it and it does appear from the record that this has been a bit of a moving target well your honor let me let me be as clear as i can on the tuition wasn't your original position that you required cash uh, your honor and i think you, the original you wouldn't take a personal check from a from a person that wanted to send their children to the school? Your Honor, I believe you're referring to an earlier draft of the transfer policy. Well, that's policy. what I mean. But I mean, it's you, you've just today in front of us, you, you've decided that you'd be willing to waive this or that. You're amending the plan's move, is moving target. Uh, and under Ross, I thought the law of this circuit was very clear that the plan had to be specific, tied down, tight, so that the judge could then make a judgment as to what the impact would be on the county. How can you know what the impact on the county is if the target keeps moving? Well, Your Honor, I'm not suggesting that, that we amend the plan on the fly. I'm suggesting that under Brinkman, the district court was required to tailor the remedy imposed to the nature and extent of the violation. And because the impact, if any, of the transfer of the high school was so minimal, it was error to impose a fee in the tens of millions of dollars. This is, not, this is not a situation where the district court is, is dealing with a transfer that has already occurred and then tailoring some kind of remedy to deal with an, an after, in an after-the-fact manner. This is whether the district court is going to grant a motion where you have the burden to establish that there won't be a problem, right? And well, that's correct, Your Honor, and I believe the record does amply establish that there will not be a substantial adverse impact on the county's desegregation from the transfer of the high school, number one, because the plan that was proposed and the transfer policy did make it clear that the career tech program will be available to the county, that we will continue to receive desegregation transfers from the county, but more importantly, the lower court's remedy was legal error because it was not tied to any racially significant or desegregation specific 
specific impact. The transfer of the roughly 366 high school students from Gardendale system to somewhere else in the county, which is the only impact the district court found specific to desegregation as it pertains to the high school, was a body of students, 85% of whom are white. In fact, an adverse expert conceded below that several of the county schools will become more racially balanced, though we do not concede that's the goal of desegregation in the first place, as a result of Gardendale's separation and that under the plan we proposed, our schools likewise at the end of the 13-year period will be more racially balanced than they are now. So the failure of the district court legally in imposing a bounty on the high school was in failing to tie that <coughs> remedy to any desegregation-specific or racially disproportionate impact from the transfer of the high school. It will continue to be a tool in the county's arsenal because this court mandated in Stout in 1972. Did, did Gardendale submit any evidence on the record as to the financial impact uh, on the county of its uh, creation of a separate school system? I know that the county produced evidence saying that it thought it would have an adverse effect on it, and there's a fight here about whether or not we can consider that because of whether or not there was a cross-appeal. But my understanding was that part of the obligation of Gardendale was that it had to bring forward and put onto the record its assessment of the financial impact and to be able to demonstrate why the financial impact on the county wouldn't be adverse. And I didn't see any evidence in the record put in by your side on the subject of financial impact. Am I wrong? Uh, respectfully, yes, Your Honor. I would direct the court's attention to the testimony at trial of Dr. Dennis Veronese. I believe it was day two of trial, but it is there. Gardendale submitted his expert testimony exactly as to what would be the impact on the county's operating budget, and I believe he and the expert, uh, financial expert for the county, who also testified, agreed that the impact on the county's operating budget would be less than 1% of its $266 million annual operating budget. So, yes, what, there is. what about the obligation of the county to build a new high school? Your Honor, I'm glad you brought that up. The lower court seemed to find, uh, although there was some equivocation in the opinion, that the county will be forced to replace a full-scale $50 million facility if the high school is transferred. That is unsupported entirely in the evidence. The lower court relied only on the testimony of the superintendent of the county, wherein he opined that, in his opinion, Desegregation meant that the schools well, I mean, of the county, if the county has, If the county has a high school that it built to serve specific needs that it defined for countywide needs, and that school is gone, lost forever, belongs to Gardendale, and the county wants to replicate that facility, don't they have to build one someplace? Well, no, Your Honor, the, the, the vast majority of the students who are educated today in that high school will continue to be so under Gardendale's administration, and there are only 366 high school students that the county would have to reassign elsewhere, and there was no evidence that they would need to spend $50 million. What's the total or, population of the high school? The high school, I think, has uh, over 1,000 students, I believe, off the top of my head. I know that there were 366. And, and what percentage comes from outside of Gardendale? 366 students under Gardendale's plan would have to be reassigned. So uh, I a do fairly substantial portion of the student body. I mean, so a third of the student body? 
uh, as compared to the current high school population, that may be correct, Your Honor, but the point that I'm making is simply that the county will not need a $50 million facility to educate 366 students, and the county offered no evidence at Presumably, all Presumably, it will need some facility, and whether or not that would have to be in some existing high school that, that would require additional work or whether that would be a new high school, that it still goes back to Judge Clevenger's question, which is the county would have to do something, right? Well, the county would have to reassign those students. That's correct. But there is not evidence in the record to support it the idea. It isn't, it isn't just those. Those are the students that have transferred into Gardendale from someplace else in the county. And so if you say there are 366, there are 600 students in there from Gardendale. Presumably there are students in the county at large, more students that would like to come to this school. I mean, is the 366 number just because there are only 366 kids in the entirety of the county who want to go to get the vocational programs or because the, there are 600 Gardendale people who want to be there and they're filling up the slots? Your Honor, the 366 number are students who, under Gardendale's proposed plan, would eventually, after the 13 years, not on day one, but at the end of the transition period, be reassigned by the county to other schools because they would not be part of the Gardendale attendance zone. So it is not a day one displacement. It is an over-the-transition period displacement, and I believe if, if that answers your question. And there was no evidence below that the county will need to build a shiny new $50 million facility or anything like it at all. And even if that were an impact, 85% of that body of students are white. So the court failed to tie this impact to any desegregation-specific or racially significant effect. The second point I'd like to address is... At some point, we need to talk about discriminatory purpose because all of that is really beside the point. If, if we were... I mean, for you to win, you, we have to conclude... We have to rule that the district court's findings of uh, your failure to establish that the separation won't impede the desegregation of the school system and the finding that there was a discriminatory purpose in moving to, to create a separate school system were both clearly erroneous. For you to win, you've got to knock down both under a clear error standard. Isn't that right? Well, Your Honor, respectfully, not exactly. Uh, under Arlington Heights itself, footnote 21, the law is that even if, in your hypothetical, this court were to affirm the finding of discriminatory purpose, a finding of discriminatory purpose does not automatically invalidate a governmental decision because the remedy must always be tailored to the nature and extent of the harm. And here, if no, you no, examine no, no, the... No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. This isn't... A finding that uh, this isn't a concern about an after the fact um, remedy of, of a constitutional violation. This is the denial of a motion to do something that the district court has found has a discriminatory purpose. And, and at that point, the district court just denies the motion, right? Well, Your Honor, the, the district court actually imposed a partial injunction oh, here. I, I know. That's a different problem. Do, do you think that the, let's, let's, let's assume for a moment, Mr. McLeod, that you're unable to knock down both of those findings under a clear error standard. The district court had no authority to do that, what it did, did it? 
Your Honor, respectfully, I think that it did because the tailoring rule under Brinkman and Arlington Heights, uh, by the language that I read in those cases, is not at all limited to only the scenario where there has already been a concrete harm that has occurred in the past and the court is, a, is achieving a remedy ex post facto. That rule applies even where there's been a violation of the Constitution. Certainly, a fortiori, it must apply where there's merely a racial motivation finding. You come in and you, and you want to create a new school system that the district court says um, is motivated by a racially discriminatory purpose and would impede um, the desegregation of the Jefferson County school system, both of which the court concludes under clear air standard, the record supports those findings. You're telling me that, so, so what law empowers the district court at that point then to nevertheless create a partial separation that no that no party asked for. What, what, where does that come from? Your Honor, I think, again, it arises from the fact that, as the courts have instructed, a district court must be sensitive to local conditions and fashion a remedy that is tailored to the facts before it. Here, at least the district court, I believe, was correct in seeing that given the limited extent and nature of the findings it made, both as to impediment and racial motivation, for example, the court noted that many in Gardendale sought separation for non-racial reasons, the court realized that a total injunction, as the plaintiffs urge, would be inappropriate. It would go too far. It would not be tailored to the harm that was found. And here the district court failed to properly See, impute to Gardendale. I, I just don't get this. The, the court has ongoing injunctions, right, that have are longstanding here. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that it needs to grant any new injunction to cure any violation. It, it's already got an ongoing remedy to desegregate the Jefferson County schools. The problem in this case is that long after that work began, you moved to modify and to allow something different to happen. It was your, it's your burden to do that. And the district court found two separate problems, both of which you have to knock down for you to get that kind of relief. I don't understand why there's a need. No, no party asked the court to do what it did. Right to, to remedy any, any kind of constitutional violation, I don't. I I really don't get it. Where the the court gets that authority? What's where can I look in case law that says the district court was empowered to do what it did? Well, Your Honor, if I understand your question correctly, the district court's concern was where would the power be for it to deny Gardendale's motion? Certainly, as the court was examining opposing counsel a moment ago, right. And Ross and Scotland Neck and Stout from this case do not authorize a district court if, to if totally If the district deny. court finds that you failed to satisfy your burden, I don't find any difficulty in understanding where it gets the authority to deny your motion. That's easy, isn't it? Well, Your Honor, I believe the district court, at least in this respect, did correctly read the right opinion. Uh, it does not command a district court to instantly and completely deny a separation motion if it finds there's some impediment because the question still remains, well, how much is the Let's impediment? ask this way. Let's ask it this way. It would empower the district court if it so chose to do that, right? I believe Wright would empower a district court to impose some remedy if it found an impediment no, no, to desegregation, no, no, no. but to, not— Again, to deny the motion. 
Well, I think depending on the factual findings, it could. And that would depend on what were the nature and extent of the findings. And here, those findings do not come close to approaching supporting a complete injunction because the racial motivation finding was based on a half dozen Facebook posts. Yeah. And that, you're challenging the evidence when you say that. Well, Your Honor, uh, not exactly. I believe the legal error that the court committed here was in attributing to the governmental body, the only body before it, the Gardendale Board, the supposedly, and we do not concede, racial statements made by well, private citizens in the past. Let's, let's, let's cut to the chase on this, okay? Arlington Heights long ago said that there's a mosaic of circumstantial evidence that a district court can look at in determining whether a governmental body has been motivated by some improper discriminatory purpose, some of which can include uh, organized constituent activity that it finds motivated the state actors um, to to act in the way they did, and that th that the reading of that circumstantial evidence allows an inference that the governmental actors shared that motivation. That's like hornbook constitutional law, isn't it? Respectfully, Your Honor, Arlington Heights does not authorize a district court to look back at the private statements of citizens in the past. The background of the decision, the legislative history of the decision in Arlington Heights was as of the history of that official, that body's official actions, not what the district court did here, which was to look The back district court in that case looked at what the constituents were arguing to the, the is a zoning board or something like that, a planning commission, something like that. And, and the, the Supreme Court of the United States said that was, the district court was perfectly within its rights in looking at that, didn't it? Your Honor, I do not believe Arlington Heights authorized the district court to attribute to the governmental body what it believed was racial motivation on behalf of a handful of private citizens. And in that regard, I would direct the court to a Fifth Circuit case, Jones versus Lubbock, 727F2-364, copies of which I have with me today and I've given to opposing counsel, in which there the Fifth Circuit said even a member of the governmental body, a, a voting commission, I think, in that case, a member of that body had published in a newspaper uh, clearly bigoted racial slurs in the past. And the Fifth Circuit held it was clear error for the district court to attribute to the body as a whole, to a majority of that body, the racial sentiments expressed in the past by that one member because there was no evidence that would allow the district court to infer that his racial animus influenced the body as a whole. And that is the legal error. But that's, that, that's, that, that's not our record and, or our finding. That, that, that's a different issue from what we're dealing with here. The district court didn't just look at some Facebook post and, and make this finding. The district court did it not looked at a lot of circumstantial evidence, some of which included commentary by the organizers of this effort. And it seems to me that Arlington Heights says the district court can look at the, that commentary as part of what I will call a mosaic of circumstantial evidence. That's, that's like super well-established law, isn't it? Well, Your Honor, I'm, I'm afraid that we will, I'll continue to have to respectfully uh, read Arlington Heights differently. But even if, if uh, the court reads Arlington Heights as, as you say, 
Jones versus Lubbock explains why it was error here, even if the court properly looked at that evidence, to attribute it to the official actions of the board in, in filing a motion to separate when there was no evidence at all, and the court cited none, that the supposed racial animus of the Facebook poster <coughs> and the Focus Gardner influenced... You really didn't even have a board here, did you? I mean, wasn't, isn't it a paper tiger? Well, mean, your Honor, the board never met. This plan that went to the district court judge was not apparently read, certainly wasn't approved by the board. So I kind of had the impression that this board was an ephemeris sort of body that sort of floating. Uh, hoped, hoped to operate someday. Well, Your Honor, the board was formed in April 2014 and has had meetings every month since then, as far as I am aware. Uh, but, uh, but you are correct in that. Uh, April in 14, and then the, the, the snowball was rolling real fast by then, isn't it? And what, not, what are the dates? When was the hearing in this case? Well, the trial in this case was December of last year, December yeah. of 2016. Yeah. And yeah. the motion to separate yeah. was filed with the court in December of 2015. Yeah. Did, did I miss something in sort of trying to understand the atmospheres or where, where, what your client's real position is? I mean, would, would your client rather live with the court's order as it was entered or prefer to have the court have the plan rejected outright? Yeah. Your Honor, if, if you're asking me whether Gardendale would prefer to take the partial injunction you know, the things, status quo, or to suffer uh, a reversal and a total injunction, certainly the former. Uh, l let me be clear about that. Our position is simply that it was error to my, my understanding, the effect of the order is that Gardendale is going to be under federal court supervision for the well into the foreseeable future, 14 years or so. Well, I think and, so, like, and, and so anytime you come back with anything, you're under that supervisory thumb, being watched like a hawk. Whereas if this plan is totally rejected, you, if, <clears throat> if this court were to say, to decide that it could elide the question of the 14th Amendment violation and say, well, district court made that ruling, but we're not going to pass on it. It'll be reserved for some future date. But by the way, the plan is totally rejected. You're as back, close back to square one as you could possibly get. Well, you're whereas right. If the, whereas if we were to just affirm across the board and say the plan is fine, your client is locked in to federal court supervision for a long time. Well, Your Honor, <clears throat> as the court addressed earlier, the reason it is necessary and urgent for Gardendale that the court reverse and, and reach uh, the constitutional violation uh, conclusion is because in the event that there is a later motion, however it shakes out, that Gardendale comes back to the district court with another motion, another plan, perhaps somewhat different plan, the district court will almost certainly rely on and look back to that violation finding, and it will be hanging over Gardendale's heads as a burden that we it'll, must It'll overcome. hang over your head whether we reach the issue or not, because the district court judge's opinion is rock solid from her point of view until we nudge it. And if we on purpose walk past it, that might create some question in someone's mind about whether the question was close or not up here, but no one knows. But she certainly will continue to exercise her authority under the basis of her independent finding. Well, Your Honor, if this court does not reach the constitutional violation conclusion, I, I agree that the district court will take that as license to continue to rely on it in any future proceedings. And if we affirm, if we find that there was no clear error in her findings, she certainly is going to in the future. Well, the, the, the uh, violation. You have that stick uh, over your head. 
the violation decision is, is a legal conclusion review de novo, but yes, the, the uh, racial motivation finding or the impediment finding, if those subsidiary findings that underlie the violation Oh, you understood what I was saying? I mean, regardless of what the standard of review is, I mean, you understood what I was saying. So it's a, it just puzzled me in listening to your argument. It sounded like you were defending the court's authority to do what she did. Well, Your Honor, I, the district court got something right here, and it was to not give the plaintiffs what they urged, a complete and total denial of the motion and a, and a whole injunction of the separation effort. That much, at least, uh, I believe was correct. The you, error you keep speaking as if, Mr. McCloud, it, the, the plaintiffs or the county board moved for some kind of injunction that has been granted here. And, and the, the, that's just not the framework we're talking about. You're the one moving the district court, and you're the one asking to upset an already ongoing injunctive relief. And if the district court says, no, you didn't sustain your burden, the district court doesn't enter any new injunction. It doesn't enter an injunction at all. There's already an injunction in place. Well, Your Honor, the, the court's opinion uses the language that we are partially enjoined, and that is why I made the statement that the court has entered a partial injunction against Gardendale. But it's certainly you could view it technically as merely a well, partial injunction. Well, you said, though, that if the district, the district court would have been wrong to just enjoin the separation entirely, and, and, and that's just not the way the framework works. What the district court would be doing is denying your, your request to allow the separation. Well, Your Honor, I'm I'm not sure if I, if the distinction is is um, is consequential to the relief that we get, but I believe in right itself. The Supreme Court made it clear that the that the relief what the district court does is not simply deny a motion; it enjoins. It does it does create and impose an affirmative injunction to stop a validly created state entity from doing what it has a right to do under state law, to separate and form a district. So I think... But I think you recognize right. it has no such right. It has no such right to do that unless it first obtains the permission of the district court. Well, Your Honor, that, that's, that's uh, under state law, as I said, there is a right for it to, uh, to separate, and the district court only has the authority to prevent that if there is a substantial adverse impact on desegregation, uh, or an independent constitutional violation, which is why we addressed all those points in our brief. Uh, and if the court has no further questions. Thank you. Um, thank you, Your Honor. Um, Ms. Lindloos. I, I won't believe I'll take all of my time unless the court has questions, but I just want to clarify a few points. Um, first, uh, on the Jones v. Lubbock uh, case that uh, Council for Gardendale referenced. Um, uh, we just received that case the first time this morning and reviewed it um, and found and agreed with what the court had said that it does not fit squarely with the, the facts of this case. The statements in that case um, were generally prejudicial as opposed to here where all of the evidence is squarely about the, the students who would be excluded or included all about the separation of, of, of Gardendale and the, the intentional discrimination of black students. Um, Next, uh, I wanted to make sure that I was clear on um, the courts, uh, the district court's understanding uh, and misapprehension of the binding case law. Uh, as Judge Clevenger mentioned earlier, uh, Wright, uh, the court seemed to see that Wright allowed 
for discretion, uh, but that may that the court relied on um, miss the holding. And the holding, it's very clear that it says may not create. Um, and so based on that and the binding 11th third cases, uh, the, the law is very clear. Denial is mandatory once a finding of discriminatory, um, sorry, of adverse impact has been made. Let me ask you something about what the decree to language would be here, Mm -hmm. okay, Um, which was not clear from the briefs. Um, So it it would seem, I do wonder whether Mr. McLeod has a point about a a necessity, if you're right, about this appeal for granting some injunctive relief. That is, not only was the district court obliged to, based on its findings, Uh, either of its findings, to deny their motion. But would it not have been, uh, would it have been obliged to then enjoin further efforts uh, by this entity or to uh, order the dissolution of that Board of Education? Uh, What what does the case law tell us about that? Uh, The case law... um from our understanding, seems to make clear um, that uh, once the the court denies the motion, that that is the denial of the recognition of the school district and should be sufficient. Um, The court could go further uh, and enjoin, but it's not necessary um, because what, what the objectors to the separation, including Jefferson County, the United States, and the plaintiffs, asked uh, for the relief we sought was for uh, the district court to deny the motion of, Je- of Gardendale to be recognized. In um, that recognition, um, Without that recognition, uh, under sort of the the ruling of the state superintendent of education, Gardendale could not move forward. Um, so, what the district court would you would argue is obliged to do here is we we would be obliged to affirm in part, reverse in part, vacate in part. Would we re- be required to remand with instructions to do something? Um, I do not believe that this court would have to remand for instructions to do something. I believe this court has the authority um, to uh, to reverse the the district court's uh, order with regard to the uh, partial granting of Gardendale's motion, um, and therefore, um, but if, but affirm the the factual findings um, and the other um, related aspects of but the if, order. If we do that, what happens to? For, I mean, for example, my recollection is that the. District Court judge ordered the Gardendale School District to admit a new member, um, have a black member in the, in, on that school board. Is that correct? Uh, that that is correct, Your okay, Honor. Okay, so so if the if the separation plan is is re, we say she should have just rejected it out of hand, and when you reject it out of hand, it's sort of gone. Does the Gardendale School Board still have to exist? Um, and if it exists, does it have? Is it living under an injunction to have a new member? Uh, no, Your Honor. I believe that if if the district court were to deny the motion uh, for the operation of Gardendale School Board, the, the uh, Gardendale School Board would no longer operate. Uh, the court could go further and enjoin um, its its operation or order its dissolution, um, but I believe it would be sufficient in either way um, for the, e- the remedy. Effectively, what the district court has done here, is it not, is the district court has modified the injunction that is already in place with respect to the Jefferson County school system, right? That's accurate. Uh, uh, and so that's why I've been asking these questions. It seems to me mm-hmm. that what you do, we would do is affirm in part mm-hmm. and vacate in part because it has modified that injunction. And if you vacate, 
that portion of the order that has modified the injunction, then you have returned to the status quo ante, right? Um, Your Honor, I believe, I believe that would I would that that would be the appropriate way um, to resolve the issue. Um, I uh, would just like to note, if if for clarification's point um, on the adverse impacts, just the facts of regarding the financial impact, uh, it would actually be two million dollars a year loss, um, and and the loss of both that that financial impact and also the loss of the facilities, uh, it, it interferes with what Jefferson County has, which is an affirmative duty um, to uh, desegregate its schools, um, and that is uh, the underlying reason why uh, the court should, in fact. Uh, deny uh, Gardendale's motion um, and affirm um, our appeal. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honors. Nobody should get excited and think that all the arguments are going to go over like that today. <laughs> <laughs>